loving that when outsiders come into contact with it, they leave changed. Just take a moment. Can you imagine a church so loving that when outsiders come into contact with it, they leave changed? If you're a visitor here, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors. Can we imagine that you would come and be with us today and experience a love so deep and rich and profound and unusual that you would leave scratching your head going, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about those people. Or if we bumped into each other at work or at Mary Street Bakery or on the beach, you'd walk away going, I don't know what it is about that person, but there's something about them that warms me to them, that delights, uh, I want to delight in, but I can't really put my finger on it. So can we imagine a church that's uh, so loving that when outsiders come into contact with it, they leave changed? Uh, the scripture, these verses, give us a very simple roadmap to that. And that's what we're going to look at. There's just three points. And it really doesn't matter where you're at. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are equipped to go on this roadmap. So whether you're in high school, whether you are just become a Christian, whether you're a pastor, you're just as qualified to, to take the journey and to walk along this roadmap. You don't have to wait for anything. Um, you can, in a sense... Uh, outlove the best of the best by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's no kind of who are the most likely to get this right. You are the most likely to get this right if God's at work in your life. So there's three things we're going to look at this morning. Is one, the journey, two, our, our map, and then three, the experiences that we can expect along the way. Uh, so number one, the journey. Jesus starts by telling these disciples that he's giving them a new commandment. And hello. Nice to see you, Armada. Nice to see you, little man, the first time in a few weeks. So Jesus gives them, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The, at first reading, though, this isn't a new commandment. Over a thousand years ago, it was commanded to the Israelites to love one another. There is nothing, at this, you know, first glance, new about what, what Jesus is saying. So this is what it says in Leviticus 19.18. Tell me if you see the command there. Do not seek revenge... Or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, your brothers and sisters, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's I am the Lord is like when your mom says growing up, you can't have the whatever you asked for. And you say, why can't I? And she goes, because I'm your mom. It's done, right? Gavel has come. This is the love your neighbor. I am the Lord. We're not discussing this. That's what you have to do. Do you see the command? So there's nothing new about what Jesus is saying at first glance. Love your neighbor, you know, love one another. Um, a new commandment I give to you. Then Paul tells us in uh, Galatians, so it's not just past, it's not just Jesus, but after Jesus ascends, this continues to be the normal state of the church. So as the, as the church gets discipled by the apostles, they get instructions from the leaders, the apostles, uh, down, passed down to them. Paul says, uh, in Galatians, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, so the reason Jesus saved you is freedom. You're called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. It's been there for thousands of years. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Paul says, the whole entire law, and what he's saying there is, 
there's various ways of, of, of kind of saying the commands that God has given us to do. You know, um, every time Nas and I leave the house, we're starting to have a little bit of like uh, experience very mild trauma, knowing text messages are going to come through going, my room's tidy, can I watch? The dishes are done, can I watch? So we have to think, before we get this text message, how can we delay it? What can we put on the list of to-dos? Yesterday, I thought I had it. I really thought I'd nailed it. Or the day before. We were going out, and, I, and, and someone's room was terrible. Well, we live in an apartment, and, and everyone has a bed buddy, a room buddy. And so someone's room was terrible, and it had been so for quite a while. So I said to Nas, hoping that they would hear, knowing that they would hear, the two of them, hey, no watching or no entertainment. Their room has been a mess for a while, and we are going out. There's no way for us to see it. So just blanket, it's not, it's not happening. And I left the house feeling like, oh, that battle is done. It's over. And so about an hour later, we get a video message <laughs> from inside the bedroom. This is what our bedroom looks like. Can we watch? <laughs> the kids are way smarter than their parents. Um, so the commands are a collection of what God our Father has said. This is how human life flourishes. This is how you ought to live. This is the way that uh, you can go forward. And so we have the Ten Commandments, and there's something in there. We have, there's a list of like 621 commandments. Then the Israelites didn't want to break those, so they created 2,000 outer commandments. So it's like if you stay, um, sorry, inner commandments. So if you stay inside the 2,000, you'll definitely not break the 600, and that will keep you inside the 10. Then Jesus comes and he goes, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes it to two commandments. Paul goes, everything, everything you've read, everything you know, everything that has been said about what God wants us to do can be summed up in one thing, love other people, love your brothers and sisters. That's it. In other words, and, and people have said it, you know, they've had time, Paul paused 2,000 years ago, they've had time since Paul to say it's smarter. So now, you know, people say now, you know, it's kind of like if you love God, you love who God loves. That's how it works. And that's the logic of it. You can't love God and not love who He loves. He, loves, he sent Jesus to die for His people. So you can't love God and not, you know, the bumper sticker, I love Jesus but not the church. It's not possible. You can't love Jesus and not the church. If you love Jesus, you will love the church. You're allowed to love Jesus and see the church is broken, but you can't love Jesus and not end up loving what He loves. The church just isn't as perfect as Jesus, and that's okay. You can notice that. The, the newness of it, though, so this is, this is uh, the journey is loving. This is not a journey of destination. Do you get that? We don't arrive. This isn't like a, this is where you're going to end up. Where we're going to end up is with God. What the command is, is a command of journey. It's a command of how to live. It's a command of human flourish. It's a command that covers you 24-7, 365. Not a command of how close are you to it. Are you getting there? It's a journey command. So uh, there's a place in South Africa where I, where I was born and grew up. There were, uh, one city in the bottom is called Port Elizabeth. Another one on the west coast is called Cape Town. And in between is this road, and it's called the Garden Route. And it's called the Garden Route because for about four hours, you're just surrounded by beauty, trees, and ocean. And, and so it's the garden, or the forest, or the ocean, or it's gorgeous. And so people take the journey, not to get anywhere, but just to go through the Garden Route. And similarly, it's like this. 
It's not where are we going. We know where we're going. It's the God, what is the garden route of God to love one another. That is the journey. That's every day's call is to love each other. So what's new about it? Because I think I've shown you there is nothing new about it at first glance. What's new about it is that for the first time, Jesus presents a resource to make it possible. Because if it was possible to do it without Jesus, he wouldn't have needed to come. If it was possible to do anything we were commanded to do without Jesus, he wouldn't need to come and do it for us. But it, him coming doesn't, doesn't change that what God has called us to, or doesn't change how life flourishes with God. And so Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so he gives us a map. Here's the journey, love each other. But for the first time, I'll show you the map. I'll give you the way. I'll give you the directions. Here it is. And Jesus says, as I have loved you. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Now you have the resources uh, to do it. Loving each other uh, often takes, loving each other always takes resources. Loving each other means that you cover each other with uh, kindness. You cover each other with forgiveness. You cover each other with grace. That's costly. Most of you, who, if, you've ever been in a, uh, if you've ever been a parent, you know that to love your child is costly. If you've been in a serious relationship, you know that to love another person is costly. If you've ever loved an animal, you know that loving is costly, right? It's impossible to love and not bear sacrifice. It's, it's love comes with sacrifice. That's how it works. And so we don't naturally have the resources to love the way that God has called us to love. Think about it this way. Um, imagine a bank account that you have, but, but you don't have anything in it. You're actually indebted uh, to someone. The end of the month comes. You've got nothing, but you, you owe something. You, what would that cause you? That would cause you some amount of discomfort, stress, worry, scrambling to make ends meet, to pay off this debt. It would be disruptive, right? So Jesus doesn't come and say, uh, love one another, you ought to, as I have loved you, like this kind of burden that makes us scramble, like, I better do this because... Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Here's the thing, you don't have the bank account for it, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up my bank account that has endless supply of resources, an endless supply of love, and I'm going to give you access to it. Here's a personal card that you can put everything on me. I'll cover it. What would you do if you had a need? Let's say you didn't have a vehicle to get from place to place, and someone came to you and said, I have an endless supply of money, limitless. Here's a card to my account. Use it as you wish. Just however. Literally, I'm, I just, there's no end in sight. Just use it. What would you do about a vehicle? Sorry? Buy a Ferrari. <laughs> nice. I like that. Anyone else do anything else? 
to the person who goes and buys a bus ticket, we may go, I mean, that's okay, but you, you probably could have done better. The person who does nothing, we would say, that's so silly, right? What, like, get over your pride. This person's okay. To the person who buys a Ferrari, they really are trusting in the bank account, right? In the, in the person that's given them the card. They really are trusting that it's going to get covered. So Jesus gives us his limitless account, access to his limitless account of love. Now here's the other thing. What would you do if there was someone else who was struggling? What if, there was, what if you were struggling for food, you were hungry, and there was someone else struggling for food and they were hungry? What would you do? Limitless supply of money, you've got a card, you can put anything on it, what would you do? Buy food for who? For? For? For anyone and everyone, right. Like there's a kind of a recklessness about it. Just anyone and everyone has food. Is that, is that even wise? I don't know. Just, there's an endless supply. Just be a little reckless with it. The person who goes and only buys themselves food, there's a prideful arrogance that well, you were hungry a second ago. Now you have access to a limitless supply of, of resources and you're only taking care of yourself as if you are more important than the other person who's hungry. There's an arrogance to that. There's a jealousy to that, a selfishness about that, that we'd all go, that's not right. To the person who goes in and buys only the other person food, we'd say there's an insecurity about that. That's not right. Why do you think that this benevolent person only wants to look after other people? Why don't you think this benevolent person wants to also look after you? What we would think is correct is for someone to go in and buy food for yourself, for the other person, and anyone else who may be there. They may just actually go, hey, tabs on me, get what you want. And a recklessness. There's a humility in that. This isn't about me. If someone had said, thank you so much, you'd go, really don't thank me. Uh, this card is given to me by so-and-so. They have a limitless supply. I mean, that would probably be a bit reckless. You'd, you might have to hide yourself. But you get what I'm saying. I hope. So what Jesus calls us to do is to receive and to give, to receive and to give, to receive and to give. Jesus says, love others as I have loved you. He says, take love from my account, apply, apply it to your account, apply it to your brothers and sisters' account. There's a limitless supply. Just continually get love as I have loved you. He's never asked us to love anyone in any way that he doesn't love them. It's not your limit or your way, and you are not ever asked to do anything more than Jesus would. It's just saying Jesus is working in people's lives. You're invited to participate in the love that He's pouring out, and He will give you the resource for that, including your life. So how does Jesus love? How does He love His disciples? How does He love you? He loves humbly. Jesus became what He was not. He is the Prince of Heaven. He became poor, despised, rejected. Jesus loved deliberately. He came with a purpose to redeem us. He came to get the work done. He came relationally. He called broken people to follow him. And later he called these broken people that didn't add anything to him. He called them friends. Jesus loves warmly. He welcomed broken people to come to him. He welcomed children to come to him. He welcomed despised people to come to him. Jesus loves generously. He gave uh, of his own resources for those who didn't have. 
He's opened His eternal inheritance to us. He's shared all that is His with us. Jesus will never die, so He can't pass on His inheritance. So He calls us in to join in His inheritance what His is ours. He loves sacrificially. Everything He gave came at a painful cost to Himself. He loves eternally. His love never runs out. He holds on to you and I without end. He never gets tired of clinging to us. He loves patiently, gently, firmly, clearly, verbally, physically, faithfully, supernaturally, consistently. You can go on and on and on. We can spend the rest of this morning looking at how Jesus loves. So Jesus says, take freely from my account of love. Take as you will, take as you need, and then distribute it anywhere you see need. If it's upon your heart or upon your mind, take it. If it's for someone else, give it at no cost. What does that mean for you? It's, it's like believing that you are totally, fully accepted by God. Not when you're doing your best, but especially when you're at your worst. It's knowing the love of God. The full acceptance and joy. Someone told me last night that uh, someone else, I, I think, uh, sorry, let me, not, let me just tell you the short story. The, the summary was this. Uh, there were 300 people in the room and asked, how do you imagine the countenance of God as He looks upon you? And 20 of them imagined smiling, the rest of them didn't. If that's true, that means the majority of people in this room don't intuitively think that God has favor on you. That God looks upon you with a smile in His heart. That God looks favorably upon you. But the Word of God says that He sings over us. That his thoughts towards us, his good thoughts, so the plans that he has, his, his thinking about how to bless you out, outweigh, uh, outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. He is constantly thinking positively about you. That doesn't mean he can't correct you like a good parent or say no to you or not give you things that would be harmful to you or allow you to go through suffering that will sharpen you. But he is constantly seeking to do you good and to bless you. But that stat suggests that most Christians don't live with the sense of His joy and favor over us. So Jesus is saying, you take my love, get my love, accept my love, know my love, experience my love, and distribute it as you see need. So the command's not about imitating. This isn't what would Jesus do. You know those wristbands? I don't know if they ever became popular in Australia, uh, WWJD wristbands. I was in America when they, when they were uh, the in thing for Christians, and, and America has kind of a Christian culture. So they were all over the NBA and other things. You know, players would play WWJD. And the idea of like, what would Jesus do? So it means like you go to work and you just kind of think a situation happens. You go like, what would Jesus do? And you imitate him. That's not what Jesus is inviting us to. He's not saying, love one another as I have loved you, like imitation. Because we can't. Do you, I mean... Nasia cooks good food. I've watched her cook great food. It doesn't mean I can just imitate her. I can try to cook that same meal and you will not want to eat it. The mechanic, I've seen him fix my car. It doesn't mean I have the skill or the ability or the competence. My car should not be fixed by me. Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of all, lover of the lost, is not possible to imitate him. But you can become like Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's an invitation to join Him, to be empowered by Him, to become like Him, 
to be transformed into the image of His likeness from one degree of glory to the next. It's a transformative invitation. Not a, you've seen what I've done for you, now you do it. So it's an invitation to join in all that Jesus is doing by the power of His Holy Spirit. So we're not like fully able to love our enemies like Jesus loved us. But Jesus loves them and we can participate in that. And as we join Jesus in loving the people that He loves, we find that through the work of the Holy Spirit, He actually transforms us to deeply and profoundly love one another. Isaiah says it in another way. He goes, he's prophesying of the church to come. And he says, arise, shine, for your light has come. So when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, is the fulfillment of Isaiah saying, arise, shine, for your light has come. There's kind of, uh, there's something, that, you know, a new commandment I give to you, there's something for you to do. Isaiah saying, there's going to be a time that comes where the church can arise and shine in this dark world. And then Jesus says, uh, love as I have loved you is the same as Isaiah saying, for your light has come. Jesus says, this is the love. love. Take love into the world. Love your brothers and sisters. This is Isaiah going, for your light has come. Jesus has come. with His, his light has broken into your life. His love has come in. The love of God has been displayed through Jesus on the cross. He's achieved it. Light has broken into darkness. Light has pushed back the darkness. You have been brought into light. Arise and shine. Love those around you. Spread the light. Break the darkness. Take the light of God and His kingdom through the love of Jesus into this world. Don't take darkness into each other's lives. Don't drag each other into darkness. Don't pull your life through darkness. Arise and shine into the life you have of Jesus and take it out. Take the light of Jesus into this world. Rise out of darkness. Rise out of self-centeredness, distractedness, anxiousness, fearfulness, survival living. Shine His light. Don't be vengeful, impatient, unkind, ungracious, harsh, critical. Do you ever struggle with any of those? (laughs) Yeah? I do. Jesus doesn't. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we think, man, Jesus has to practice, you know, must be hard for Jesus not to be impatient with me. It's not hard for Jesus not to be impatient with me. It's very easy for Jesus to be patient with me. It's not easy for me to be patient, but it's very easy for him to be patient. I think, oh man, I deserve God's harshness. He's got, he's got no harshness to put upon me. It's just very easy for him to be gentle because that's what he's like. God is gentle and kind and patient and loving. And he invites me to experience that and to join that in giving that to other people, to my brothers and sisters. Um, And then he tells us about the experience along the way. So there's this journey, love each other. That's what we're called to do. That's our our command. There's a way. The way is by participating in what Jesus is doing, an invitation to join him in loving one another. If you look, if I, as I look at Jib, I learn to see the love of God on Jib's life. 
the, the joy and delight Jesus takes in Jib's life. Can you imagine how that changes the way I treat Jib, my brother? If I walk in frustrated and irritated, thinking Jib's indebted to me or something, I'll treat him one way. But if I look at him and I see the glory of God shining upon him, the favor of God, the blessing of God, the love of God that delights in Jib, you see how it would melt my heart towards him? And I get to participate in the love that's been poured out over Jib's life. When I don't, I'm actually, I'm actually standing against what God's doing in Jib's life. When I don't bring love, when I don't add love, when I come with my rights or my opinions or my uh, selfishness or my impatience or my anger, to, I'm, actually, I'm actually not participating in what Jesus is doing in Jib's life. I'm actually standing against what Jesus is doing in Jib's life. But I can switch teams and say, Jib, I'm so sorry. I want to participate in what Jesus is doing in your life, and he is lavishly, abundantly pouring his love out on, your, on you, and, and I want to join into that. Please forgive me for my harshness. So, uh, the, what can we experience along the way? Jesus says that it's our love for one another that gives us away. Um, if we lack love, the world's going to look into the church and we might say, God's a God of love. He loves you. He, he wants to uh, save you. And they're going to go, well, I don't really see it. And I'm not really interested in it. And I don't, you know, there's nothing, nothing to see here, folks. Have you ever gone to the zoo? And there's like a sign that's like, world's deadliest snake. Like, oh, cool. And you look into the tank and there's nothing there. It's just dirt. It's like such a disappointment. It's a little bit, it's a, can't, the church can be that way. It's the love of God displayed. Walks into church. Oh my gosh, those people are like everyone else. Maybe even worse. What a disappointment. Right? But when we participate in what Jesus is doing, we don't have to even aim for anything. We just participate in what Jesus is doing. People accidentally come into contact with the glory and the love of Jesus. They come into contact with the glory of God. They see. It's a taste and see, a scratch and sniff. You go to Woolworths and you don't mean to have a cracker and cheese, but someone's giving out crackers and cheese. And you go home and you broke the budget because you bought crackers and cheese. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Yeah? It's like that. I wasn't looking for Jesus, but I bumped into the crackers and cheese, and it was tasty. And now I'm curious, and now I want in. And yeah, my life has been transformed because now I'm following Jesus. Can you imagine a church so loving that when outsiders come into contact with it, they leave changed? So Isaiah says the same thing this way. He goes, nations will come to the, your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In other words, when you arise and shine, for your light has come, where you take hold of this commandment and you walk into the love of Jesus, you receive it and you give it this endless bank account and you pour it out on each other, Nations will come to your light. Yes, there's a commandment to go to the nations. But Isaiah says, 
also, it will be like a, a city on a hill, a lighthouse, that those who are in darkness will come to the light. People will seek this freedom. So they come into the light by coming into the church and they experience God, God's goodness and glory by witnessing the church's love. Wouldn't you want to be part of a church like that? That's Jesus' call on every church. It's not a kind of church. It's not Anglican or Baptist or Charismatic or Pentecostal or however you want to label a church. It's not about the structure of services, whether they're creedal or just organic. It's not about any of the... It's a, is the love of Jesus on display? Is the glory of God revealed through the love they have one for another? If that is there, regardless of the church's style or uh, service structure or even leadership structure, outsiders will come in and taste and see. This is what it's saying, the, the, the light of Jesus, the love of God. Ray Ortland describes the church he thinks Jesus wants. And he says, he, he, this is what our hearts long for. Every church should be a God-exalting, Christ-admiring, Holy Spirit-revering, Bible-enjoying, grace-preaching, convenience-defying, cross-embracing, risk-taking, selfishness-crucifying, gossip-silencing, prayer-saturated, laughter-filled, future-thinking, outwardly-oriented, evangelistic, humble, audacious, happy church filled with God's presence, compelling the attention of the city. It's Jesus' heart for the church. That's what we long for. And that's not so much a goal. That's the journey. That's what we're invited to be part of. That's not what we hope to become. It's beautiful. Sam, um, I was going to say, uh, Sam Storm says, Christ-like love is more than a verbal declaration. It entails a practical communication of worldly resources to those in need. What he's saying there, I mean, I think it's fairly simple, but just in case, he's saying there, Christ-like love is not saying, I love you. It's saying, I love you with all the ability I, I have showing it to you. It's an exercise. We're all invited to join in. That's what I'm saying. A teenager, a uni student, a single person, a married person, a, married, uh, a family, an old person. There is no one more qualified. You don't have to have a certain amount of resources. God's not even asking for your resources. He's saying you are invited to join in my love to brothers and sisters. Someone has, a, has hunger and you go, but I don't actually have the money. I go to high school and I literally have no money. That's okay. God's not asking for your money right now, but can you love that person the way that Christ does? What can, how can that be displayed? He invites us all. So let me ask some questions and I'll wrap up and hand over to Jib. And I'm going to ask them to you. I'll ask them over myself as well. Please don't hear any finger pointing. Remember uh, one of the marks, a grace-preaching church. I don't hear in, in here any other thing, anything else but grace. But this is more just a, 
where's my heart at? And I, I think what you're going to find is your heart does desire this. Do you have a posture of love? A posture talks about an attitude and a behavior. A posture is a way that you are inclined to be. Do you have a posture, an attitude, and a behavior of love? Or self-centeredness? Do you want to join in what Jesus is doing? You can simplify your whole life. What do you want to be one day? What do you want to do one day? Where do you want to live one day? What, what do you want to drive one day? Who do you, want to, you can simplify your whole life to this. I just want to participate in what Jesus is doing. That's it. Wherever that leads me, I'll be happy. Do you want to uh, join in what Jesus is doing? Do you hear his call to rise and shine? Do you feel that over your life? Are you sitting there this morning going, I want to love. I want love to pour out. I want to be reckless like Jib said. I want to take this spirit-filled card that he's given me and in the power of the spirit, I want to walk out today and I want to be reckless with love. I want to fill the people's lives in this room with love. I want this church to grow so there's more people to pour love out on. I want to reach my neighbors. I want to go to work tomorrow excited, not because I'm, I'm the opposite of Monday blues, but because I'm excited that there's going to be human beings that God loves there and he's going to give me opportunities to join in loving them. Be free to join in the recklessness of his love. Does your heart long for a church that radiates the glory of God and compels our city's attention? Is evangelism intimidating for you? Is the idea of evangelism, there's different models. You know, the models of like, hey, you know, just pray, God will give you a picture and then just walk across the street and like go share it. Ah! Or like CB Church does a lot, um, put on the red shirts, got questions or something on their shirt and then they just walk up and down Rockaby Road stopping strangers and trying to tell them about Jesus. You're like, oh, do you want to be an ostrich with your head in the ground? Is that... We're not looking... Uh, there's better models. Lo- you know, but at the end of the day, this is the best way. Love people. Like, can you do that? Is that intimidating? It's hard, but it's not intimidating. It's costly, but it's not intimidating. We can join in. Jesus' love, just a few comments. Jesus' love will mess with every part of your life where self-centeredness still exists. Why wouldn't we walk out of here and just join in the love of Jesus? Because there's parts of us that are still self-centered. And His love messes with that. Jesus' love will expose every square inch of pride in your heart. How, does, how do you see this? Have you, ever, have you ever, like, I don't know, looked at someone else and gone, but, you know, uh, we were generous, but they weren't. I don't think they were generous. That's not love. Love is, like, I cannot believe that God has invited me and allowed me to participate in His generosity. I'm bummed that other people missed out, but, whoa, this is amazing. It's no judgment on other people. It's just the joy of partnering. And discipleship probably does mean that we call each other to it. Jesus' love will disrupt every desire you have that isn't aligned with His. Jesus' love will humble you in ways you cannot imagine. That's not a fun journey. 
We know love, not by our joy in it, but by the suffering we will endure for the sake of it. Unfortunately, love has this kind of romantic ring to it. I fell in love with so-and-so. The honeymoon season, we talk about as if love is this kind of radiant unicorn rainbow thing that makes us like represses every suffering and only causes everything to be delightful, like some sort of Mary Poppins life constantly. But actually the love of Jesus is like dusty roads, hard work, nitty-gritty, pushing uphill, helping the poor, engaging with the lost, leaning into the need. That's why the marriage covenant vow has that, you know, to love in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, in poverty and in riches. That love actually comes alive uh, in the suffering that we endure for it. Laying down your life to Jesus doesn't look like passivity, but active engagement in what Jesus is doing. When I say I lay down my life to you, Jesus, it doesn't mean I lay down my life and I do nothing because now I'm a Christian. I'm not going to that party. I'm not drinking that thing. I'm not smoking that substance. I'm not dating these people because now I'm a Christian. <laughs> That's not, it's not passivity. What, what are you not doing now that you follow Jesus? It's what are you are doing. I'm loving here. I'm loving there. I'm loving those. I'm loving them. I'm participating in a myriad of ways because Jesus is doing things all over my life. So what experience, at the end of the day, what experience makes, it, makes love worth it if it's so costly? Well, Jesus says, seeing others know and experience the glory of God and his love, that the world will know that you are my disciples, that they'll look in. It's not so much for us. Jesus doesn't say it so that you may know by the world's affirmation that you are my disciples. This is how you can have assurance. The world will let you know, yep, thumbs up, we've looked at you. You're definitely Christians. This is that the world may know that you are my disciples. That they will look. And yeah, there will be some assurance because they will be like, yeah, you guys are different and that will tell you, like, whoa, actually God must be at work here. Wow, that's, incre- that's encouraging. That's exciting. I'm not always sure about that. But primarily so that they may know, that they may come into the light, that they may know the glory of God. And that is worth it. If that's not worth it for you, um, then you won't be compelled to love. But if people's, if changed lives is worth it for you, and I, and I believe it would be for everyone, to see people's lives changed and transformed, knowing God, knowing His glory, knowing His love, that that would be enough, that's the experience we get. That's the garden route. That's the beauty is we look around and the joy that delights us is seeing people know the love of God. Can you imagine a church so loving that when outsiders come into contact with it, they leave changed? This is what Jesus imagines. This is what Jesus is doing. And we're invited to join in. And because he gives us the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need for it. Let me pray and hand over to Jib. Father, new commandment you've given us indeed to love as we have been loved.
to be reckless and, and uh, not hold back. To allow your love to pour over and flood our hearts and our minds and through our lives to each other. To join in that great sacrifice as we pour love on those who have debts with us. Kindness, forgiveness, graciousness to those who've treated us poorly or spoken behind our backs or criticized or uh, that we just keep pouring your love out on them to join in that sacrifice. What a delight you've called us to. To be accepted by our brothers and sisters when we uh, wrong them, when we have to go to them and apologize for being harsh or impatient or not assuming the best of them. To be able to do this with a sense of your love being poured over us, no guilt, no shame, just freedom in Jesus, to have a community that is free to love uh, radically because your love is being poured out. To call each other to truth, to call each other into God's will, to encourage and empower each other through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you've called us to. May we not settle for less than that. May we not be comfortable with the standards of this world. May we not uh, put up with our own limits. But may we stand in the invitation you've given us by the power of the Holy Spirit and extend and participate in a radical love, a love that says from the cross, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. May we experience that, and may we give that. In your precious and wonderful name, amen.